Greetings, my friends. So my next guest is Anuradha Dayal Gulati. She holds a PhD in economics and is a certified flower essence practitioner. But today we are talking about her recent book, Heal Your Ancestral Roots. Now, I get quite a few books sent to me um, as pitches to do with these interviews, but this was the one book that I actually sought out myself. Um, it's a subject matter that I think is important, and it's one that's important to me personally, but I think that's it's one that's important for society and the world in general. And I was not disappointed. It's a fantastic book that I would recommend to anybody who is interested in such topics. And I was also not disappointed in my conversation with Anu. She is a, uh, it was a fascinating discussion and she's a fun person and uh, I just really enjoyed it and I think you are going to enjoy it as well. And so with no further ado, let's get on to it. All right, friends, I hope you're doing well. Peace out. All right. Hello, Anu. Thank you very much for uh, taking the time to talk today. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. It's great to be here with you today. Uh, in, all right. So the first question I'm going to ask you, and I, I weigh this because I've watched your other interviews and I know you've had to go over this a couple of times, but for the people I've read your book, it's a fantastic book. It's right there. Recommend it to everybody. But um, for, for people who have not had the chance to read the book, obviously that's who we're talking to predominantly. So um, could you give a little bit of your personal background, how you go from a PhD in economics, which is something that many people would uh, consider a, a life, uh, a major achievement, and yet you're now working in a very different field. Could you give a little bit of a, a background on their story, how you got here? Um, I want to say, first of all, Jeff, that even though I am was an economist and now I'm doing something different, um, that journey also had like a lot of um, feelings of shame in it. Like, you know, hmm. what is this that I'm doing? Like, how am I... Like I couldn't speak about it for a long time, but I also feel like at some level, this was kind of destined to happen. And of mm -hmm. course, when it happened, it didn't happen in a very linear way. It happened in a, you know, very sort of sudden traumatic way. And um, I had a health problem and I had to go mm -hmm. into the ER for it. And you know how you think like, okay, I'm going to get back to life as usual. Uh, put this behind me. And I thought, okay, I got this. I'm going to get back out. Um, it wasn't quite that way. I had to go in a second time. Mm. And that's when I started to feel really scared. Like, what's going on with me? Like, am I going to be okay? But it was when I, it happened the third time that I really got frightened. And I just remember this feeling of like powerlessness, this feeling of like hopelessness, despair, like sweeping over me. And I had a, I could tell like the doctors didn't really know what was going on. The nurses didn't quite know what was going on. Uh, but I had a really good friend, a very dear friend, and she was into alternative healing. Mm. I always kind of was a little bit like, I liked her a lot, but I was always skeptical. But she came to see me in the hospital. And I still remember she held my hand and she looked at me and she said, how many times are you going to go through this? Like, what is it going to take for you to change? Hmm. And that's a question I still ask myself today. I mean, I can feel it inside of me. Um, but that made me realize, like, I got to do something different. I got to move, change the trajectory of my life. And so I literally willed myself out of the hospital. I had to pick up my kid from daycare that day. I willed myself out of the hospital and I started to explore like alternative methods of healing. And that's when I found this like amazing Chinese medicine doctor. And I also discovered flower essences and those two things together changed the trajectory of my life. And ultimately the tension caused me to just leave academia and leave all of that behind. And I was like done. Mm. So this became my new um, path. But I, I feel like the most important thing I learned, Jeff, was uh, hope is so important in our life. And we have to keep that flame of hope alive. And we're also not powerless. We can create change. And so that's what I feel like I really want to share with people. Mm. That it's you can amazing. create change. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Know that you're never powerless. You can create change. Mm. 
Yeah, that, that's beautiful. It's it's funny. My last guest was Dr. Sharon Moore, who's a medical doctor who also started training in shamanism. And Sharon books the same thing about he is taking your healing into your own own hands. And um, so it's it's interesting that um, the two I've been talking to the two of you back to back. But what you were just saying about your own story makes me think of uh, a part in your book that I thought was really fascinating. Um, page 90, not that that probably, I doubt you memorize every page of your book, but um, so karma gives a chance to change old patterns, right? And it's it's it, part of your discussion about karma and um, uh, that destiny, I think, is the word that you use and, and how much of our life is fixed and how much of it is flexible. And um, could you, when you just told me that story of your life, it kind of seems to kind of overlap. Could you talk about that a little bit? Because I think your perspective on karma is really interesting. Yeah, you know, um, in India, a lot of people believe in karma. And you could think of karma, you know, think of a, 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 a stake and a rope and a goat tied to the rope. And, you know, it just keeps going round and round. I mean, that's like, you can think of fate in sort of that um in that way it's like restricting it's you know there's not that much scope but i was talking to somebody and i said i cannot i don't believe this like we cannot be that restricted and he said yeah he said when you create your destiny you break the rope hmm. and you know that's the metaphor that i feel like if you think of karma and you think of destiny, destiny is you break that rope, you break those chains, and you free yourself to create a life you want. Um, and you do that by recognizing the part that tied you to the rope. Mm -hmm. But as long as you stay a victim, you sort of stay tied to that rope. But inside of you is enough power to break it and free yourself. Yeah, that's beautiful. Because when I was reading your book, I've never liked the idea of our, our lives being like fixed. Like, I don't like the idea of predestination and all that. And for a little while in the book, you were, I thought you were going in that way. I was like, oh, man, I'm not really into this. But then you came up with that. And I just thought that was, um, it's a really interesting way of looking at it, that there is a destiny, but we can liberate ourselves from it. And yeah, there is a fate and we can liberate ourselves fate, from it. A fate, Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and so in, in your book, um, you have two, two main channels to doing this. You have the flower essence therapy, and then you have the family constellation uh, therapy. Um, with this, obviously, this book is a little more uh, focused on the family constellation stuff. Could you explain um, to people who haven't yet read the book what this means and how it ties into this karmic setting yourself free yeah so um maybe we can just talk about uh what pe people experience that sort of sure. allows them to think about you know this is karmic um you know if you think of patterns that repeat in your life maybe you enter the same kind same kind of relationship or you think this is the one and then it breaks up and, you know, it's the same sort of issues come up in the relationship as in previous relationships. Or you end up, um, you know, working somewhere and you have a boss and somebody always uh, gets the credit, not you. You get passed over for promotion. There are patterns like that that happen. And someone was telling me recently about... Um, a, a man who really worked really hard. And at that very last moment, when everything seems like it's going to, you know, sort of have financial success, like it doesn't happen, they end up back in poverty. And then he realized his father had the same issue, worked really hard every time he thought he was going to make it, would end up back in poverty. Mm -hmm. So there is a sort of not only in your own individual life, if you look back, it's a theme that can repeat in the generations before you. And so that's how the karmic patterns, like the negative karma, the ancestral burdens, like make their presence, presence felt through this repetition of patterns. But when you start to honor your ancestors, 
you start to be able to shift these patterns. Because this, the pattern is a way the ancestral field is speaking to you, and it has a message. And the message is usually about what you need to heal inside of yourself, what mm. kind of limiting beliefs, what kind of conditioning you need to let go of, and what kind of amends you can make um, for what your family might have done. And so when you start to do that, it sort of starts to open up the field to be different, create different, and live differently. Hmm. Yeah, that was, I thought it was interesting in the book because it seems kind of paradoxical to me because you talk about how even if you have, even if you had an unpleasant and maybe even abusive um, family background, this the honoring the family is, is a key to moving forward which I think a lot of people would like struggle to understand that. And um, yeah, could you just talk, talk about that? What, what you think the mechanics are behind that? Yeah. Um, you know, and I use the word honoring um, because it comes out like from the Indian context, how I see it operate. And you could think of honor as kind of respecting. And if, if you, if I really drill it down, like, I notice, you know, people in India will say, if someone is like old or cranky or something, they have a, they have a way of saying, you know, but they're old. They're like that. Um, there's an acceptance. There's not, there's not like, a, I'm going to try to fix them. Mm. And so what, what I mean by that, and I'm not saying if parents are abusive or something that it means you can sort of say that's okay that's not what i'm saying but what i'm saying is you just accept this is what happened um i couldn't you cannot fix your parents you cannot get them to apologize you cannot get them to say like i'm sorry i did this or you know i see you you're you know they might always be critical they might always be negative but you accept reality there mm -hmm. that reality that you cannot change and when you do that, you start to kind of reclaim your power. Mm. And you start to free yourself from looking for something that you cannot get. So in some sense, that's kind of what I mean by the honoring. And, and we don't know what shaped our parents and made them what they are. You right. never know what trauma they went through that they couldn't process because all trauma loses processing language. It's an unprocessed story. Mm. And that's how it then manifests in the parenting we receive in, you know, maybe even like whatever happens in the world is can, that's negative, you know, shootings, this kind of stuff, like is unprocessed trauma from somewhere else. Because someone who's in touch with themselves is not going to go out and do that. Right. They don't necessarily want to hurt other people. Mm. So, honoring is kind of just like a letting go of, I cannot fix somebody else. I just have to accept it. And if it's hard, you know, I've seen sometimes with my clients, like the mother or father might have been really hard, but if they go back, if they know their story and they go back a couple of generations, they'll remember the great grandmother who was really loving or the grandmother who was really kind. And so somewhere that was there, but it got lost. Hmm. Um, and so if you can't, if it's very hard to start with the parents or even grandparents, just, you know, this abstract lineages before them by starting to honor them makes it easier to sort of come into like closer generations. Hmm. Yeah, I, I know that from firsthand experience. So, um, I didn't have a like it, it seems paradoxical, but I I under I totally understand um what you mean by that. And um I just thought it was interesting because I don't think most people would think of it that way because we hold on to resentments. But so an, another um something I'm curious about. So you're talking about there's uh, a family karma, a family energy that that travels through and we are all um 
bound by it until we achieve our liberation. What I'm curious about is if you or if I, if I achieve my liberation, do I help the whole family line or does, is everybody wholly personally responsible for it or can I help everybody? So I think um, when you shift, you create shifts in the generations before you. So I think, uh, let me sort of say it another way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those who have passed, um, we don't always know if they were able to ascend to higher levels because the soul, according to Indian teachers or masters in Buddhism, uh, you know, there are levels at which the soul can be. And sometimes the soul cannot even leave the earth plane. It sort of stays stuck in the earth plane and cannot move on. And that's when we pick up all the negative energies because there's too much attachment to the earth plane and too much Mm. attachment to us because we are the descendants. But when we start to, and they also want to make amends, but when we start to shift, those energies can start to ascend into like higher realms. And as they start to do that, uh, we stop picking up on their negative energies. And instead of them being unhelpful, they start to be able to be more helpful to us. Hmm. And that's when the support starts to come and they can evolve because the souls are on this evolutionary path. And of course, when we shift, we shift how we are with the generations that follow. Most um, I mean, most um, what it, what shifts really is the expression of love, the responses that become less reactive and more um, res- more thoughtful, more intentional. And they are not designed to hurt; they are designed to support. They are designed to encourage, um, to teach others, to take care of the earth, to be compassionate, to be kinder to others. And so, in that way, there's a healing that happens for the next generation. We're not forcing them into boxes like, you know, you got to be this, you got to be this, you got to do this. We allow human potential in the next generation to sort of flourish. Hmm. Yeah, I love that, man. That's, that's so beautiful. It's like, um, it's noble to, uh, if you can read that and say, like, I'm going to be the one, I'm going to be the one that does this for, for my family. And maybe I can't personally fully liberate everybody, but I can help. Um, I think that's uh, like inspiring, you know, and yeah. I assume when, when you're talking to your clients, I, I, do they take it on like this? This is my mission. <laughs> A lot of people, I think they, uh, people do come on and, you know, liberation is like, um, it feels like a high standard. So, you know, if you can even just have joy, that's right, good. Right. Well, that's what we really want, you know, to mm. be happy, to, ha- you know, have a child in your family, like a niece or a nephew, so, you know, want to hang out with you. Like, you know, you make them laugh. They enjoy, you know, those are simple things, but those are the things that add richness to our lives. Yeah, we don't have to go all the way for the full enlightenment. It's <laughs> a pretty big task, right? <laughs> yeah, I think we get so. Yeah, uh, yes. I mean, I don't know about enlightenment for myself, but I just feel like if you know, the more I can experience joy, the more my family can be happy or want to see me or want to be with each other. That's that's enough. Absolutely. I, I agree. But I also am fascinated by a lot of like Buddhist traditions and other maybe some Hindu traditions as well, um, where the idea is like some, some of the seekers, they come to the point where like, I'm not going to be able to achieve enlightenment in this lifetime. But if I keep pushing it, then the next lifetime, I'll start further ahead and I'll, ha- I'll have a better head start on all this. And uh, I've, I've always been intrigued by that concept of it's almost like game planning lifetimes ahead. You know, <laughs> so yeah, so I think it's interesting. Um, you know, in the Buddhist tradition, like uh, the Buddha, he left his sleeping wife, his child, the kingdom, his father, and he went to meditate and ultimately got li- liberated. And he came back a wise man, mm. but he didn't come back 
to be the father, to be the husband, to be the ruler, the son. He didn't come mm, back to be all right. of those things. But in the Indian tradition, we have our story where the ruler, um, Ram, was sent into exile. So he's, this is the sort of Eastern hero that we have. He was sent into exile by his stepmother. Um, so he took his, So his wife decided to follow him. So he went into the forest. He had to go battle. His wife was abducted, et cetera, et cetera. But then after 14 years of exile, he comes back. And he comes back to be the son, to be the ruler. He's still the husband. He becomes a father. He has twin sons. So he comes back to the relationships because he doesn't, you know, he, he's considered sort of the God who came down to earth. Uh, but the idea is um, for a householder, you come back to the relationships. You don't abandon them because the richness of our life is in the richness of our relationships. So it's a man, different I view. That. I love that, man. I love it. Yeah. The Buddhists, I believe they call it bodhisattvas, the yeah. people who achieve enlightenment, but decide to decide to come back to try to guide others to the same uh, road. But um, that's what, what was the, the name of that, the, the god? The Eastern hero. So ours is, is Ram. It's, uh, it's, it's, oh, okay. You know, it's written R-A-M, and it's, so we would, you might say Ram, but it's pronounced Ram. Okay. Almost yeah, like R-A-H-M. Okay, I just didn't know, this, I didn't know that particular story, but I've seen that pop up, yeah. That, that's, I love that, man. That's, that's really uh, beautiful. And do you... Do you um, your own spiritual practices. Do you consider yourself in any like particular field, like uh, like Hindu? Uh, I know yeah, you said so, you went to Catholic school when you were a kid. Um, so you know, I guess I was, I was, I, uh, I was born Hindu, and um, I don't think I was formally taught. I I learned, in fact, all the Catholic prayers and everything, but I wasn't formally taught uh, Hinduism. I picked it up a little bit. My dad would tell a story here and there. My dad was a storyteller. So he would like use stories to illustrate things for us. Um, and that's how I kind of learned a little bit. Mm. I feel like you said, you know, you are learning Russian. You'd like to learn. I feel like I would like to learn more. But mm. one of my very favorite books was um, Caroline Mace's Anatomy of the Spirit, which I read like almost 20 years ago. And what I realized reading her book was um, all the spiritual tradition, all this, the spiritual sort of traditions across all religions is the same. Like the path is the same. The things that happen on the path are the same across all the mystical parts of the religion. Mm. And uh, that's when I realized like, wow, it doesn't matter what you do. The path, once you start to, go there is going to be the same. Hmm. So I found that fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there, um, it wasn't too long ago. I, I subscribe to people of all kinds of philosophical and spiritual ideas. And in the same day, I saw one from a, a Catholic priest who was talking about how the way that Satan like, gets in your head is it uses your, your shame and your like, guilt against you. And the same day, a shaman was talking about this. He said the same thing, slightly different words, and he didn't say the devil. He didn't say Satan. He was just saying, like, like demonic entities, basically. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's this, they're both saying the same thing. They just have a different name for the, the, evil, the evil that's trying to get inside yeah. of you, you know? Yeah, yeah. That, that's actually a huge reason why I started this channel, is that, like, I, it's those commonalities that I want to find, you know, th those things that it, it's, yeah, I think that's what it's really all about. And, um, and you mentioned this in, in your book, you talk about how all well not, I probably can't say all, but it seems like all um, cultural traditions have this idea about the importance of our ancestors, the spiritual, that they're with us at all, at all times, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, I thought it was really interesting when I read Alberto Violdo's book, who's this Cuban-American medical anthropologist. And when he went to South America and he saw the ancestral altars, and he said, you know, in the Western tradition, we thought of it as, as ancestor worship. But it, 
were not, they weren't really worshiping their ancestors. They had the altar so that they knew where their ancestors were, hmm. so that they weren't running amok, ruining their life. <laughs> and I thought that was interesting. But what clicked in my head was in India, we have ancestral, we don't have ancestral altars per se, but we have altars. Um, all, mo- most homes will have an altar. And the altar then becomes a place to sort of anchor the energy of the home. And that's something I realized, like, you know, we're never taught why we have an altar. But, you know, if you had an exam, go stop there. I mean, we even went to the church before ex- before I exams. But, you know, you stopped at the altar. Like, if you were upset, you could go there. If you were happy, you know, um, my mother would put a little offering there. So it becomes part of how you acknowledge parts of life's milestones, celebrations, but also challenges and you sort of ask for support. And I think what it does is um, like an ancestral altar, like it anchors the energy of the home. Mm. You actually, I wrote down a quote that you're talking about the same subject in your book. I love this quote. Um, If there is no altar, you become the altar. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Could you expand on that just a little bit? Because I think, um, so there's, it's the transformation uh, of energy. So if you create, for instance, an ancestral altar um, and you use the five elements to, to create that honoring through the altar, like uh, lighting a candle, so it's fire, water, which absorbs negative energies, um, flowers, or something from nature that absorbs negative energies as well. And then sound like, you know, chimes or a bell or those raise the frequency of the altar. Mm. And so when you stop and you pray, not to your ancestors, but for your ancestors, we allow them to lift and sort of start to detach from the earth plane and move on. And if they can do that, then they're not surrounding you. They're not like, latching onto you and like affecting you and acting as a ceiling on your life because mm. we're not when we speak we're not speaking their words their anger their you know those instinctive sort of responses inside of us which are not necessarily ours but theirs mm. yeah i love that and i um so i don't recall you talking about this directly in the book and i don't i'm not trying to put you on the spot but i'm curious when the ancestors when they are freed of this karmic cycle in our family, when, when we say freed for our lives, that means that we, like you just said, you just explained, we no longer have to operate under their uh, malicious, not malicious, negative influence. Um, what, what happens to them? Do they, do they go into reincarnation or? Uh, you know, they probably do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I heard a really interesting story from a woman um, who felt that a family member that she was working with and supporting and uh, reincarnated back, Hmm. um, you know, and had asked for forgiveness. So all of that happened. Now, she's had a practice that she's done for many years. And so perhaps because of her practice and all of her own um, spiritual um, work that she's been doing, that she sort of was able to recognize this and see this. Mm. But I don't know that, you know, I don't know that we really know what right. happens. But, but, you know, you're curious. So somebody came to visit me and said, I want you to watch a movie. And I said, okay, what? And she said, I want you to watch Spirit City. So we watched this movie, Spirit City. Um, It is actually subtitled in English. And um, I don't, you know, I I can't say like I know that much about how reincarnation works and stuff like that. But that was fascinating. It talks about um, a soul that needs to evolve. And part of his evolution is to support someone um, on Earth um, in helping them sort of evolve and do the work. Hmm. So, um, so who know? I don't. I can't say I really know how it works, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a it's a fascinating idea. You know, hmm. 
so many times people who have these near-death experiences say that they have this sense of awareness of the things they did wrong, of the people they mm-hmm. hurt. Of, so it's about wanting to make amends, you know? Um, and the idea of compassion or is just, you know, a little heart opening because when the heart opens, you get a sense of like, oh, I can see how I hurt someone. I can see how my words landed. I can see um, so many times I've seen like when a mother has passed on and the daughter will say to me, she says, I feel like my mother is wanting to make amends. Mm. I, I, you know, and that sort of relationship that couldn't shift in the lifetime starts to shift after the passing of the parent. Mm. So there's changes that happen, which just seems to suggest that there is a desire for healing. Right. That is so right. present. Yeah, man, that's 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 beautiful story. Is have you ever heard of Eben Alexander? Uh, it sounds familiar, but it's not was, coming to me right away. He, he got pretty prominent. He may still be. I don't know. He was, um, I think he was a neuroscientist. He was, so, he did some, and he had, I think, meningitis. Um, and he was like brain dead for a long time and uh, came back and said that he had seen the afterlife and everything. But the reason why I bring it up is because I read his book. It's a really good book. But he says that when we reincarnate, we're not alone. Like you go into this other, like the reincarnation realm and you meet with all these other people. Um, a lot of which we have reincarnated with many times before. And it's like, you're a team and you all sit down. You're like, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go down here. These are our missions. Um, and it was interesting because he said some of the people, it could be somebody like, have you ever had an encounter where you run into somebody in a parking lot for two seconds, you never see them again. But something about it is like synchronous and it, it like clicks something. And so um, Alexander was saying that those are part of your like reincarnation team and that you're all like working in this, this design together. And um, I just thought that was interesting how it overlaps with your book and this, this idea of a joint karmic healing. And I'm not exactly sure how the two would tie together, but it's a neat like couple threads to tie together. Yeah. And, you know, I think this is Jeff, like, you know, when we are trying to get from fate to destiny, when we're trying to sort of shift our karma, um, you know, it's like the encounter in the parking lot that you just talked about. There is grace supporting us. Mm. Whatever we you know, chose to come in and do amends and, you know, make up for our own mistakes. But at the same time, there is like grace that comes to support us. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we have this idea that we have to work really hard and then we'll get what we deserve. And um, I met this man who came from India pretty recently and I said, you know, you work hard and then sort of things happen. And he said, yeah, but you just have to make the effort, but open yourself up to, you know, the universe and, and be, you'll be surprised how much work the universe does. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was an interesting idea. Like, although you, we are aware or you might be aware that the universe will support you, but true surrender is like trusting that they'll support you like, more than 100%, right. you know, if you believe that you'll be fully supported. And this man who, who I met, who somebody came to, brought him to meet us, uh, he comes from India, he's a healer. He travels without any money, nothing in his mm-hmm. pocket. He heals, he doesn't even tell you, like, pay me this, pay me the nothing, absolutely nothing. So oh, I'm wow. like, in this day and age, he's just traveling the world. <laughs> with nothing <laughs> that's you know? amazing that is amazing yeah yeah that's yeah. similar to um i can't believe i can't think of his name but the monk who came and started the the hari what, what people call the hari krishnas that's yeah the, his was the same thing like he had been very successful in india had a family it was like a businessman doing well he came over to fulfill this spiritual mission 
He came with nothing. He came with nothing. He didn't even speak English. He just got to New York and just made it happen and, and has created a spiritual uh, system that still persists today. Yeah. It's incredible. I think uh, the question, you know, that comes up, Jeff, is not that um, can we trust the universe? It's like, how much can we trust? How much are we completely willing to surrender and let go? Right. And I think that's hard because that element of doubt is there. Like, oh, I don't know. Right. And <laughs> Will it, it happen? Will someone be there? Will I be safe? <laughs> right. Exactly. And it ties back into your book talks about your relationship with your parents. Um, you mentioned this briefly. Some of this might be my own thoughts because you know I've read your book and sat there and thought about it. But because our level of trust in the universe, I think, is largely determined until we take responsibility for our own evolution, it is largely determined by our relationship with our parents. Because if we learn early that we can't trust our parents, then we learn that we can't trust the world, really. And, you know, and then we're just always suspicious and scared. And um, that is why I think your book is so... Uh, I just I really want everybody to read it, and like I, I mean that I'm not just saying that because I'm interviewing you on my channel. Like I really want everybody to read it because I think it takes that and puts it into perspective and gives people the chance to take ownership of what might have happened to them when they were kids and to step into this healing and this um, what I am terming liberation. What I don't I don't mean full enlightenment. I understand that's too ambitious, but the liberation from those cycles of pain. Yeah. So, Sorry, I went on a little bit of a rambling. No, 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 no. I I like what you said about the liberation. It's uh, the freedom from the pain that you're carrying. And I think that's beautifully like the way you said it. You know, that's the freedom that, you know, you're looking for. Anyone is looking for. We're all looking for. And, um, you know, the sense of safety when the, uh, because the root chakra is about safety. And then abundance and, you know, that sense of belonging. So when that starts to get fractured, how can you restore that? Um, and starting to trust in, you know, perhaps like a universal or divine feminine or masculine energy, uh, that or even a consciousness, if you don't want to believe in either a masculine or feminine energy, that starts to restore trust in the world that we live in because i think there's two levels there's um the world and then the universe i mean we live in the world but we get our support from the universe and when we're living by the world's of, rules of the world we forget actually that it's the laws of the universe not the rules of the universe but the laws of the universe that are supporting us and so how can we sort of live in that way almost with one foot on the ground but one foot like you know sort of the the poses that you see in sort of some of the eastern statues one foot on the ground one foot kind of poised halfway mm, um right. it's like you're living in those two spaces yeah that's very gnostic and uh your your book doesn't just doesn't discuss gnosticism i i probably shouldn't even go into it but but the gnostic idea of various um avenues towards the Gnostic idea is that this, the earth was created by the Demiurge, which is not the true God, and that outside of that is the real universe. And um, it, this is kind of like uh, in the problem with Gnosticism, it, gets, it can become like very life-hating, because the idea is that this world is an illusion, Maya, you know, the Hindus have the, the Maya, and, but there is a greater love outside. And um, yeah, and so I know this just just made me think of what uh, what you were just saying. Yeah, I mean, and you know, I'm not like uh, well versed in Hindu mm. philosophy. As I said, I you know we didn't have a chance to like learn it, but um, I think when we think of Maya, it's like a kind of conditioning, like an illusion, like it's the rules of the world. You know, um, like we make up these rules about, you know, education and you have to sit still in the classroom. You have to do this. You have to do that. Um, how you dress. I mean, you know, fashion, trends, whatever. All of these things are 
the rules of the world that you kind of end up having to play play by, or they start to say, oh, but he's weird, she's weird, so-and-so is weird, you know, the the weirdness, the creep. But then there are just laws of the universe that are beyond conditioning. Um, and the earth is, uh, I feel like in India, we think of the earth as the mother, as the divine feminine power. Um, mm. And so the earth has much more power than we think because it is the divine feminine. Mm. Um, the manifestation of all that is and the nurturing that happens. And I found it fascinating that our remains never leave the earth. Like we never leave the earth in some way. We're yeah, buried, we are right. cremated, we're like here. So if this is our mother who absorbs us, and huh. if we are looking for safety, um, you know, we have to connect with the mother who feeds us, nurtures us, clothes us. Yeah, I love that. And that, that's why I've never quite been able to get on the Gnostic bandwagon because I love nature. I love, I love, I love life. I love uh, people. And, um, and I'm not, not ready to buy into the idea that this is a hopelessly corrupt uh, jail with nothing uh, good about it. But um, so another aspect in your book that I thought was really important for people to hear, you talk about how there, so there's two stages to healing. There is first, well, actually, I might be impressing my own interpretations on this, but you talk about how getting rid of negative patterns is not the same thing as replacing them with good patterns, that they're two different um, approaches, two different systems. Um, could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, so I think... Um you know, there's two sort of journeys that we're going on. One is we honor our ancestors and we make our way to our own individuality, whatever we've come here on earth for, whatever we've come to do, finding our purpose. And then we, the internal reflection of that journey is from here to here, from the head to the heart. So we have to make this journey. And if we're getting rid of like the intellectual, like I know I have to you know, not, um, not do this. Or when I go see my mom, I don't want to regress into being like a five-year-old or re mm -hmm. reacting. So you can say that intellectually, but when you arrive there and she might say something, you become that five-year-old or eight-year-old or 13-year-old. You're no lo longer the 41 or 42-year-old or whatever it is you are, or even the 60-year-old, like standing in front of your parent. So how do you make that journey from instinct to response how do you actually do that and i find like that's where the flower essences like create that support because whatever you take out you have to replace with something you have to replace your instinctive reaction with a intentional response um so it has to be replaced and you know in some ways nature abhors a, a vacuum Right. That's always so. How how do we fill it with something positive and fulfilling and that's supporting us? Mm. Yeah, I, I want to um because to the people everybody watching this. So the book is predominantly about the family constellations that we've been talking about, or it's about healing the family roots. Obviously, as the title says, but a big part of your work is also the the flower therapy. Is that was that the right term for a flower therapy? Flower um, essence yeah. therapy. Flower essence. Yeah. Therapy. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, that that was really fascinating stuff. So, could you um, say in a, briefly? Somebody, a client comes to you. What what could they expect for for their work with you? So. You know, when, I, when a client comes, I'm really listening to what they're saying, to what's going on, what are the patterns showing up in their life, what are the emotions showing up in their life. If they're feeling like passed over at work, do they feel invisible at home? Like what was going on? So in some sense, what are the patterns and what are the emotions that are coming up? And so I want to just start with by giving them flower essences um, to shift the emotion, to shift the feeling of like something is wrong with me, 
mm-hmm. and reclaiming their power because that's what the essences do. They are they allow you to begin the process of reconnecting with yourself, of finding your own internal guidance system, your own compass. Uh, that's what they're that's what they're doing. And as we start to do that, we start to find the transgenerational patterns. And you know, while you can keep discovering patterns and keep looking for them and keep sorting them and they're never ending. It's like an onion that you keep peeling. Um, I feel like just honoring the ancestors is a shortcut way to sort of, um, you know, work with the patterns because a lot of times, I mean, a lot of traditional cultures didn't really maybe know what were all the patterns, everything, but when you honor the ancestors, you create an altar, you pray for them to sort of be in a better space you can start to shift the energy instead mm. of like looking for a pattern. When I work with someone, I'm looking for the pattern mm. um, and to see how we can shift it. But I wanted people to know that, you know, they can also do things on their own to sort of shift that. Yeah. That's a great thing about your book. That I want to make sure everybody knows you have exercises in there. This isn't just theory. Like you, you had this an actual manual for how to go about this on your own which I, I, I love that. But um, yeah, I, like I said, I, I, I always try to don't want to insert myself in interviews. I am the interviewer, but I can say like, I had my own experience with my father. I'm saying this for the audience's benefits. I, I just want to back up. Uh, your book actually got me a little bit of emotional for a little emotional for a little while, because I had a lot of resentment towards my father. What I can say is when I, twisted it around to start looking at my father as a decent person who just was in some pain. My dad died when I was young. Um, Man, it was so, I think of it as liberation. It was like you cut yourself free from that, all that pain, man, and all that resentment and all that anger. And all of a sudden life just looks so different. And um, that's why I want people to read your dang book, man. Like it's, it's the most beautiful feeling to cut yourself free from those chains. Yeah. 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 I mean that, thank you for that. I just, you know, it allows your father to be in peace. Uh, If you can sort of let that go. Um, And for your listeners, if it's really hard to do, you know, willow is the flower essence for shifting bitterness and resentment and also holly. These are two essences. And I, I really wanted people to feel like they could do something when they read the book. Like, you know, they can take, you know, they can sort of take control. They can take power in their own hands. They don't have to feel like helpless or powerless. Hmm. Yeah, your book definitely does that. To everybody, what you were just saying um, about certain essences, you've got that in the book. Like you have it's like a recipe, like use this for this and use this and this. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it, to me, it's an incredibly valuable book, but. Um, Thank you. But I have to say, I love the story about your dad. Oh, oh yeah. About your dad. Thank you. Thank you yeah. for sharing it, that. The, the big reason why I brought it up, I want people to realize it, it was not just emotion. I can actually, if I wanted to, I could show quantifiable changes in my life that happened when I started going through that process. Like my external life started to change and it became better. And yeah, it's oh just. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Yes. 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 As soon as you start to let go of the pain and of wanting to blame someone, your life starts to shift. It's like you cut the rope. Right. Cut the rope that was tying you. Like you just, yeah. And, you know, people talk a lot about free will and like discipline and deter. And I'm not saying that those things aren't important. Yes, they are. But compassion cuts the rope. Mm. Compassion for others really, compassion for someone's story sets you free. Mm. I I absolutely agree, man. That's a, that's a, a really beautiful way to state it. So, all right, we're coming up nearly, nearly an hour. uh, We agreed to an hour. I appreciate this so much. So, um, in addition to the book you have, which I just got to say again, excellent book, people. In addition to your service, your professional services, do you have any other um, projects that are coming out or anything that you'd like to share with people? Um, 
Well, on my website, I offer like a PDF that anyone can download, which lists sort of the 10 key essence that can help in the relationships. Um, I mean, at this point, I'm actually trying to make a course out of the book that people can just, you know, um, use, I hope maybe in another month or so. Mm -hmm. uh, and I also wanted to um, do Facebook lives so that people can just ask questions and get answers like you know so I'm, I'm trying to do those things they're still like in the pipeline because i never imagined that the book would um would be it would be you know um would actually take so much time right <laughs> but uh but it's but it's been a journey and i feel like i'm really grateful because uh, perhaps this is what the ancestors want mine and others so Right. Um, yeah. We got probably a lot of interesting experiences coming your way is uh, what I would suspect be a lot of neat stuff in the, the uh, near future. Yeah. So, I think the biggest, I just want to share Jeff, just, oh yeah, please, I cannot tell you how meaningful it is for me to hear your story. Hmm. And um, I think one of the nicest things about getting a chance to meet other people has been to hear their stories. I cannot, I mean, to me, when just hearing other people's stories is of their ancestors is such a gift. It's such a gift. Because to me, it's like the ancestors are telling me like, oh, this is helpful. Hmm. Thank you. So, you know, I just am so grateful when I hear someone's stories. That's awesome. And, and, and that, that's such a great service in itself. Even if you took out all the other work that you do with the flower essence therapy and all the, all this stuff, um, having somebody who will actually listen to a person's story, people spend so much time feeling so isolated and insignificant and irrelevant to have somebody like validate that, um, that in itself is powerful. And so, yeah, no, man, I, I think you're doing great work and uh, I appreciate it. And I appreciate the book. And, um, and I appreciate this hour. This has been great. I, uh, I loved it. And I, I could talk to you for three hours, but I'm sure you have things to do. So uh, I will let you go. Um, unless, of course, no, do you have anything else you'd like to share? Um, no, I think this is it. I, I just do feel that, you know, a lot of times, like you said, that disconnection that happens when you feel like you can't trust your parents or things have happened. But restoring the connection to yourself um, is the pathway to healing and reclaiming your power and creating the life you want. And I, I think you can support yourself when you tap into the power of nature, tap into the power of the universe, tap into the power of your, your ancestors, and just honor when you're feeling something like, you know, mm -hmm. it's okay to feel this way because something happened that made me feel this way. Like not discounting it. That's important. Uh, then the process of healing can start. Hmm. Hell yeah, man. That's a great, that's a great place to end. That's perfect. And uh, in a great way to start that process is this book. So um, yeah, and I will link to all your, your website and all the things that you mentioned. They'll be in the description box below this video. People go down there. All the links and everything will be there as well as a link to the book. So Thank you so much. This was great. And um, best of luck to the with the Thank book. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, and I hope to talk to you again. I think Apple Knocker Radio.